The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Sex Lives, New York Magazine's podcast about sex. I'm Maureen O'Connor and I am joined today in studio by Andrea Sirtash. Hi. Hi. Andrea just <laughs> launched a website called Pregnantish. Mm-hmm. Tell me, what is it like to feel a little bit pregnant all the time? It's not fun. <laughs> so maybe um, let's back up. What yeah. what does pregnantish mean? So I think it's a myth that you can't be a little bit pregnant because I've been a little bit pregnant for about six years and it's not fun. So basically what it means is um, for the millions of people who are going through infertility or fertility challenges, mm-hmm. when you're undergoing treatment, your body is jacked up on hormones and you're, you, you actually sometimes are told by the doctor, especially when you have an embryo put in you, mm-hmm. literally, during an IVF process, you're told, remember, you might be pregnant, so don't drink, don't work out, don't overexert yourself. So your body, you, you're a little bit, you're a little bit pregnant. You're kind of, it sounds like you're interacting with your body in a way that's perpetually anticipating pregnancy. Absolutely. Plus, you're you're on PMS times a thousand because you're super hormonal. Oh my god! So um, yeah, it's not so pregnantish. Uh, was born mm-hmm. from from this world that I've unfortunately been in for a few years, um, and I realized all the advice out there. Well, it's really great. Tends to be focused just on the medical side. Yeah. But it's uh, there's there's a lot that goes on when you're navigating this journey, and not just uh, amongst you know heterosexual couples. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of uh, Gay and lesbian couples are undergoing treatments. Mm-hmm. Singles are freezing their eggs in record numbers. So there's there's a lot to talk about that goes far beyond the medical. And that's why I created Pregnantish. You actually came from the world of writing about dating. Um, mm-hmm. You wrote some books about dating. I'm curious if maybe you can explain sort of that journey. How did you start writing about love and then now for <laughs> procreation becoming sort of central to what you write about and talk about? So how I started is in 2003, actually, that now I feel ancient because that was <laughs> like a long time ago. I was on the radio uh, talking about a book I worked on called How to Survive Dating. And I was one mm-hmm. of many journalists who worked on the book. I was fresh out of school. And the radio announcer said, we're so lucky to be joined by a dating expert. And I thought, that's so cool. There's a dating expert here. And I didn't realize it was me. <laughs> so I, I just kind of paused. And then he said, Andrea Sirtash. And I was suddenly answering live love questions. You know, people were calling in. And that's really what kicked off my career as a, like as a relationship. It. I love it. So since then, I've written, you know, a number of books and mm-hmm. hosted TV shows and um, digital shows about dating and relationships. And while I've been going through this, mm-hmm. well, at least for uh, five plus years, I've been running back and forth to my doctor undergoing fertility treatments. And so the video I launched Pregnantish with is called I Faked It on National Television because <laughs> I've been on national TV, you know, Good Morning America, these kind of shows, uh, giving moms advice on how to keep sex hot, which mm-hmm. I still do. I still yeah. I still give a lot of sex and relationship advice all the while I've been going through this behind the scenes. So this just felt to me like an authentic next thing to launch. In, and I've written about marriage. I've written about dating, sex. So, yeah, baby making is part of that. <laughs> when when did you decide that you wanted to have a kid? You know, I didn't know it until, really know it until I met my niece, mm-hmm. um, my sister's child. I didn't even know I wanted to get married, let alone have a kid, until kind of a few years ago. Uh-huh. But then once the 
instinct kicked in. (laughs) Um, I became that annoying person showing everybody my niece's photo when they didn't care. And I thought, oh, yeah, I guess, you know, sometimes babies are cool. I didn't know that I had that in me. And then once um, it really crystallizes for people when they're trying, even trying, not trying, and it's not happening, you realize if it is a value, it it comes up uh, very fast. You realize what's most important to you. and by trying not trying, you mean just having unprotected <laughs> yeah. sex and just getting off the pill, happens. just yeah. getting off the pill and being like, if it happens, great. You know, there's always that. Uh, How I didn't put pressure. Oh, my gosh. I was on since I was 15. I actually had issues as a teenager. Uh-huh. And that's why they put me on the pill. I had endometriosis. Yeah. There were other things going on. So I was on for a long time. And then when I got off, uh, I joked with my husband. And he didn't think it was funny that maybe I'm a monster. I don't know what I'm like off the pill. Yeah. <laughs> so in my case, I had an easy transition and we just kind of thought it might happen. And then I went to the doctor and she said, oh, my gosh, you have a massive tumor. And oh I had. a God. Yeah. And that's what kicked off this journey. So I had a really large fibroid. I produced too much estrogen, which would be TMI if we weren't talking about this. Um, <laughs> Never <but> TMI. <laughs> not on this show, right? No. <laughs> um, so I, I produce a lot of estrogen. Ironically, that makes me feel super womanly and also really sucky for fertility oh um, because I have all these fibroid tumors. I had to have open stomach surgery to remove it. That created wow. scar tissue that created secondary issues. You know, that's why I'm uh, here today. How does fertility treatment affect your actual sex life? Like, do you find yourself fucking differently? Oh, my gosh. There's there's nothing sexy about saying, get in here, I'm ovulating. It's like (laughs) when you're in your head and stressed, sex ain't fun. Does your husband react also to the feeling of being in his head or his, you know, sex being different when it's for baby making? As much as women go through craziness with the shots and the pills and the appointments, Men have to basically jerk off on command at Mm -hmm. a fertility clinic to really bad pornography. So I'm always like, BYOP, just bring your own porn because the selection there is ridiculous a lot of the time. And they have to kind of... uh, Yeah, it's so crazy. must be the only place in America where you still see porn on pieces of paper. Is that in a fertility (laughs) clinic? (laughs) I actually really want to know how they curate it because it's usually really bad. And my husband, I'm always saying, just put it on your iPad because he'll say, like, who picked this? And the lighting is awful. (laughs) And the cup is like that they give you this tiny little cup. And he actually asked the, this is, I think, hilarious, but he asked the receptionist, do you have a bigger, you know, I'm not trying to like show off with my manhood here, but like, do you have a bigger cup? That's kind of uncomfortable for me. And she said, no, we used to have really big cups and some men complained that it made them feel self-conscious. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> true. So, yeah. So basically, um, Minefield. It's not, yeah, it's not fun. I mean, for every woman, by the way, as much as I can find the humor in it, mm-hmm. it's also really painful for women sometimes yeah. to go through an egg retrieval. They're cramping after they might be drugged and dazed. And the man's basically just masturbated to porn <laughs> at the same time. So you may be in very different moods after yeah. your pro- procedure. Um, but for, it definitely affects men. And I'm I'm trying to write for men as much as I'm writing for women. And again, not just straight men. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's affecting all kinds of people today. 
I always think about when people tell me about in vitro fertilization, they're like, isn't it crazy to think that there's some lab technician somewhere who's like shoving a little sperm <laughs> in that you're like, oh, my God, like that guy chose yeah. or girl yeah. or whoever's doing the <laughs> lab tech, you know? Yeah, it's so bizarre. That they're like, here is the most motal sperm. I yes. will sh- move this one here. And oh. you're just like, <gasps> it's so bizarre when you think about all of these things that the embryologist will come in the day of a woman's transfer. That's the time when that's the transfer. The transfer is the time when they put an embryo back in the woman's body after it's. So they first they retrieve the eggs. Mm-hmm. They try to fertilize the eggs with sperm by injecting the best sperm, like you said. <laughs> <laughs> I know they, they choose the they overachieving sperm. They choose that sperm. They inject the sperm, and then the the lab calls the patient almost every day to tell you what's happening on a cellular level. So talk wow. about something being totally pressure filled. You've gone maybe through in vitro fertilization for many weeks. Mm-hmm. You've done dozens of shots. You've gone to dozens of appointments. You've spent thousands of dollars. And now you're being told in the moment it has this many cells. Your embryo is that many cells. And then by day five of the fertilized egg being in a Petri dish, Mm -hmm. they call you back in if you're doing a fresh transfer or they might freeze it if you Mm -hmm. want to freeze your embryo. They call you back in to put this embryo in the woman's body to hope that it turns into a pregnancy. It's confusing because it feels like sometimes the more technology involved in something you feel like it ought to mean you're in control of it. You know, that just somehow the more microscopes and accoutrements just has the sort of illusion of control. And yet that doesn't actually mean that we're more in control of, you know, a life and a baby and what happens. That's right. It's the most magical thing to create a baby. (laughs) I think it's so interesting because as I've gone through it, so many of my friends have gotten pregnant and Mm -hmm. had babies. And many of them are like, oh, I got off the pill for one day and I got pregnant. And (laughs) you're just like, and I'm just like, slap, you know, (laughs) no, but if they're a friend, I'm truly happy for them. But there is this element of, Wow. It's I mean, they are pick in my case, they are picking the best sperm, uh-huh. the best egg. They're doing everything to make it work perfectly. And yet it still hasn't worked. So how did you have sex once and it worked? So obviously we're all here because uh, our parents got knocked up. So it's, <laughs> you know, it's not, But it is kind of amazing. Why do you think there is a taboo around infertility? I think it's because it's to do with some lady junk. (laughs) (laughs) Everything to do with lady junk gets taboo. We just don't talk about it. It's almost like with all elements of relationships and love, we like to imagine it's all just going to like happen magically and naturally in, I mean, that's so silly. It's true, though. Natural is such a subjective concept. (laughs) But um, yeah, that you want to think that you just meet somebody and it's magical and then like magic a baby appears. Oh, yeah. Like first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes you know, you with yeah. the baby carriage. Like that order is totally not happening today. Uh-huh. Many of my friends got pregnant, then got married. Some of my single friends have kids, are unmarried. Yeah. I mean, the order, we're mixing up the order today and that's OK. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of the fastest growing relationship trends. We need mm-hmm. to shine the light on it. Do you think there's a point when people should stop trying or should change the way they're trying. Do you think there would be a point where you'd be like, oh, my God, I've been trying this for so long. Mm -hmm. Is there a different path? The number of treatments I've done is I wouldn't suggest for many people. Yeah. Um, But I'm pretty resilient. Oh, one other thing. Fun fact that I found out Mm -hmm. during all the testing I've done. So uh, two major issues 
that are making it hard to get pregnant are that I produce a lot of estrogen and that I have elevated natural killer cells. Makes me pretty badass. Well, some doctors, it's controversial diagnosis, but Uh the doctors I've seen who believe in it think that my body's actually attacked healthy embryos because I have been pregnant. Uh It means that it makes my life awesome. I don't get sick a lot. Like I don't catch colds. Ah. I, I, my body rejects foreign matter. So Mm -hmm. there are so many things that you find out as you start to explore. So even when someone thinks they're going to stop with fertility treatments or trying a lot of times knowledge is power and they say, well, if I just run these tests or I go to an immunologist or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. If I just do more investigation, maybe I'll get to the bottom of it. And that becomes comforting because then you realize um, maybe there are other paths you can pursue. You've talked a little bit about discovering stuff about yourself through this process. What have you discovered in terms of your relationship? Oh, it's it's made us closer. Um, I had to have moments where I took the attention off myself and asked my husband, Michael, how's this affecting you? And I, there have been times where he's thought I should stop and we've just talked through it. Um, and it's not, those, it's not all rosy all the time. Of what course. are those conversations like when you disagree about continuing or, or whether things are enough? It's funny because when we started our first IVF, my, my husband's a funny guy, he used to be mm. like an improv guy and we went to the nurse was teaching us how to do the shots and he was joking with the nurse, but she didn't know that, that he was going to dress up as a nurse and administer my shots and have this whole <laughs> ritual. And she was like, you know, are you OK, Andrea? Uh, kind of. Uh, off- <laughs> and I said, oh, no, 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 that's that's what makes this great, because he will bring a sense of humor to this weird process. And so that's happened, too. Sometimes it's been really funny. We've done shots on airplanes. That's hilarious and painful um, in like the bathroom stall oh, God. Um, because they're very timed. So you, you have to do fertility shots at weird hours in weird places. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to crowdsource the question on pregnantish. Where's the weirdest place you've done your fertility <laughs> shots? Not on your body, a physical location. Yeah. Because already I've heard really funny stories. Like what? Oh, I've heard um, my my mother-in-law was um, conducting an opera and I had to go in a gown to do it in the bathroom. Uh, another woman I interviewed said, in D.C., I was at the bus station traveling back to New York, and I was with all the junkies, but oh I was doing my fertility shots. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, it becomes something that, yeah, is just a, a, a strange reality. Is there anything that you wish you had known before you started this process or things that <laughs> like you think... I don't know, that you would want to tell Andrea of, you know, however many years ago. I think I would have just said, take it easy, practice self-care. This is a hard (laughs) journey and don't feel guilty. It's not your fault. It's um, on the bottom of my site. It says you are not alone because overwhelmingly I have heard people say I feel so isolated through Mm -hmm. this because they're not talking about it. For everyone, you know, going through it, multiply that. Because most people aren't talking about it and they're suffering silently. So I I, it would have been nice for someone to tell me it's normal to feel uh, sad, stressed, anxious. It's it's um, it's really tough. It's it's not that easy always to make a baby. Yeah. And that's okay. Our guest has been Andrea Sertesh. Andrea, so how can people find you in Pregnantish? So uh, they can find me through uh, andreasertash.com or pregnantish.com. And uh, I'd love to hear from them. 
We invite our listeners to call in every week. Um, what, what would you like to hear from them about, Andrea? Yeah, I'm curious to know how it's affected your listeners. Uh, obviously, this is a sex lives podcast, so <laughs> how it's affected their sex lives if they're going through the trying to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Even if they haven't gone through infertility, What? how has sex shifted yeah. since you've been moving from lovemaking to babymaking? When you've, yes, yeah. the lovemaking to babymaking switch. What yeah. happened? Yeah. How did it change? Did everything become different? Did it become better? Mm-hmm. Um, so that phone line, if you want to call, leave a voicemail for us. It's 646 494 And if you have any particular questions for Andrea, we'll give her a call and find out. Our guest has been Andrea Sertesh. Sex Lies is produced by Feem Shapiro and Alana Milner. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. So that's all for now. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.